Um, so tonight we'll be jumping out of Luke 19, if you want to follow along. Um, I'll be building kind of like a small picture in regards to uh, this triumphal entry, this picture where we get Palm Sunday from, uh, where maybe you weave all your little palm crosses and do all that kind of stuff. But uh, that's where we'll be jumping out of tonight, Luke 19. If you'll bear with me, let me pray. Father, we do thank you for your goodness. Uh, Lord, even in the midst of uh, just a whirlwind right now with the world and sickness and uh, the economy and politics and um, just so much division and difficulty beyond what is just on the surface, God, with, with uh, dealing with uh, people with ailments and, and certain people passing away and how we navigate all these things, Lord. In the midst of that, you're still good and you've always been, Lord. Um, and so, Father, we lift this night up to you. We pray, God, that you speak to each of us through your word. Lord, we ask that, uh, as strange as this may seem for some of us, myself included, God, talking to a, a camera, to, to an audience who is seeing but not physically there, Lord, I pray, uh, Holy Spirit, that you move in power uh, for the glory of our Lord Jesus. Father, I ask that you would, uh, with all the authority of heaven, God, that you would move into the living rooms and on the couches of people um, who are who are just looking for some kind of energy or being recharged. Believers who are being worn down by being shut in, Father, I pray that you would just move in, in that supernatural capacity, Lord, even through this video, if you will, it, God. Uh, so, Father, again, we thank you that we do have this privilege, Lord, as uh, we still can fellowship digitally, God. We still have uh, telephones and the ability to to kind of join that way. And so, Lord, we lift it up to you as an offering. We pray that you break it and bless it. And cause it to multiply for your namesake, Lord Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen. So again, tonight we'll be jumping out of Luke chapter 19. We'll start in verse 28 and read down to verse 40 and then stop and, and we'll tie back in. But the big picture we're going to look at tonight as we go through here is going to be called, if you would, the faithlessness uh, and the faithfulness of man. And then we'll use that as a bridge for next week on Easter Sunday then uh, to build the picture of the faithfulness of God in comparison. And so let me read through these verses and we'll kind of break them down as we go through. Luke writes, when he had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass when he, Jesus, drew near to Bethphage, and Bethany at the mount called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village opposite you, where as you enter you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, Why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to him, Because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went their way and found it just as he had said to them. But as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said to them, Why are you loosing the colt? And Jesus said, The Lord, er, and then they said, The Lord has need of him. Then they brought him to Jesus, and they drew their own clothes on the colt, and they set Jesus on him. And he went, and as he went, it says, Many spread their clothes on the road. In Matthew's Gospel, 
In Mark's gospel, it says they also laid palm branches. They tore them off the trees and laid palm branches on the road also. Verse 37 says, Then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. In other places it says, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd and said, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. So this picture we have here is what we call the triumphal entry. This is Jesus about a week before, roughly five days before the crucifixion is about to take place. Back it up. You have the trial, the mock trials, the beating. You'll have the Last Supper. You'll have, uh, in the middle of that, you'll have uh, Judas betraying Jesus. You have the weeping in Gethsemane. You have all these things that kind of go through this, what we call the Holy Week. And this kind of sets it off. Jesus decides to come in. The people here, they know he's around. They know that uh, Lazarus, has been raised from the dead. He's in town. They want to see that. And the Pharisees at this point are also trying to figure out how can we get rid of Phar- uh, how do we get rid of Lazarus too? Because that doesn't quite fit our agenda. What we're trying to accomplish here. You got one man who was raised from the dead who was there for four days and in, in the grave, and all of a sudden is alive and walking around. And you have a, the man who raised him. And the people. It says there they were glorifying God because of the mighty works. What we just read, they had seen. And so you have this pandemonium. The city during this feast is swelled to about 2 million people. No doubt there's all these people there. And so you have this, this huge picture and this huge pandemonium and this what we call the triumphal entry. It's all of the people celebrating Jesus as, as king is what they're doing. They're preparing the way. They're issuing him in. They're laying the palm branches and the cloaks on the road. They're celebrating what looks like to be a victory for the nation of Israel that the king that they had been waiting for has finally come. And so, backing up into this picture, you have Jesus then, as he's making his way there, he tells his two disciples, I need you to go into the village and loose this colt that's never been ridden on. And when the owners come to you and say, hey, what are you doing loosing the colt? You're going to tell them the Lord has need of it, and they're going to let you go. They go into the village, they loose the colt, the owners come out, just like Jesus said, Praise the Lord, that's a beautiful thing to have in your life, the trust and assurance that what God says is going to happen is going to happen. They say, what are you doing taking our colt? The disciples say, the Lord has need of it. They say, you can take it. They put their clothes on them. They put Jesus on the colt, fulfilling about an 800-year-old prophecy of the Messiah who would come and enter in that same capacity. And they begin the descent into the towards the city of Jerusalem as they make their way. And so you have this pandemonium. You have these thousands of people and and they're chanting, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You're going to have what looks like a parade of sorts coming into the city. Millions of people thronging in the midst. Not all there for who Jesus is at that point, but, but thousands, no doubt, rushing in and pushing in. It says all the disciples, uh, if you read there, It says, then as he drew 
as he was now drawing near in verse 37, the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees, that they, so you go through there, and this whole scene is going on, and the Pharisees cry out to him from the midst and say, you got to rebuke your disciples. They can't be saying something like that because these people saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, that's Messiahship. That's the King of the Lord, the, the glory of God coming that they had been long awaited for, but they couldn't see it in Christ. The blindness was there. So he tells me, you need to rebuke your disciples. And one of my favorite verses in the Bible is that he says, look, he says, but I tell you that if these should keep their silence, the stones would immediately cry out. Because even the creation itself would identify, no, Messiah is here. And he's worthy to be praised. He should be glorified. But the picture of faithlessness and faithfulness really comes on the heels of the fact that in five days, and we'll read it, these same people, maybe not the identical people, but we're looking at man and his propensity to be faithful or faithless. And so you see, all of the mighty works which God had done, they weren't done in a corner in a secret place. Oftentimes, Jesus teaching in the temple and challenging the religious leaders, it was done in the wide open for everybody to see. It was irrefutable. The miracles were indisputable. Again, Lazarus stumped for four days. He was with Jesus at this point. And so you, you begin to look at this picture. In five days, you have a crowd standing before Pilate saying, we don't want him. But he's saying, no, he said he's the king of the Jews. We have no king but Caesar. Crucify him. Crucify him. And so it's interesting. The faithfulness or the faithlessness or the manner of faith of man is a very fickle thing. Oftentimes, it's predicated on what we can get out of what we believe rather than the object in which we believe. If God is this, then he'll do this for me. And if he doesn't, then maybe he's not God. And so that's really interesting, this picture, because you have this, I mean, again, you're talking millions of people in the city at this point, and, and I'm sure on a conservative level, thousands upon thousands, issuing in this, this conquering king, as it were, relationship, to the Messiahship. And yet in a few short days, they would mock him and beat him and ridicule him and rip his beard out and eventually say, we'll take Barabbas. You can have Jesus. Crucify him. Crucify him. The crowd, again, not just the Jews, the regular people. We don't want him. You take him. He's not our king. Crucify him. So what's interesting is Ezekiel writes hundreds of years prior in chapter 33, verses 30 through 32. He says this. As for you, son of man, this is the Lord talking to Ezekiel. The children of your people are talking about you beside the walls and in the doors of the houses. And they speak to one another Everyone saying to his brother, please come and hear what the word is that comes from the Lord. So they come to you as a people do. They sit before you as my people and they hear your words, but they do not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, 
but their hearts pursue their own gain. Indeed, you are to them a very lovely song of one who has a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument. For they hear your words, but they do not do them. So very much what you have all through in, in, in a lot of places in relationship to Jesus as his public ministry took off, even up until this point and then the crucifixion. He would feed the multitudes with, with the fish and loaves, but it says later on that he didn't commit himself to them because they, he knew what they wanted. He knew what they, what they had going on in their heart was just their own gain. Exactly what Ezekiel is saying here. It wasn't that, what you know, when you hear people share the truth of God and tell you a beautiful testimony of what God can do and how he's prospered them in their life or how he's restored their marriage or how he's saved their children from drug addiction. You hear, you hear all of those things take place. You say, amen, praise God, all of those things. But then what he requires from your life, when he asks of you, you say, oh, he's not my king. Crucify him. You say all the praise God, Hosanna, Hosanna. We do all of the, the pandemonium and the emotionalism or what some say the herd mentality. We, we go with the crowd when things are tough, when things are bad. Or on the other side, when things are extremely good. We say, Amen, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But then what he wants from our life. No, no, no. That's not my king. Crucify him. So that's the, that's the picture of the faithlessness of man. I'll read it for you. In five days, it says, Then Pilate, in, in, in Luke 23, starting in verse 13. In five days, it says, Then Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, wasn't just the religious Jewish leaders. It was the crowd also. He said to them, You have brought this man to me as one who misleads the people. And indeed, having examined him in your presence, I find no fault in this man concerning those things of which you accused him. No, neither did Herod, for I sent you back to him, and indeed, nothing deserving of death has been done by him. I will therefore chastise him and release him, for it was necessary for him to release one of them at the feast. And they all cried out at once, saying, Away with this man! And released to us Barabbas, who had been thrown into prison for a certain rebellion made in the city and for murder. Pilate, therefore, wishing to release Jesus, again called out to them. But they shouted, saying, Crucify him! Crucify him! Then he, Pilate, said to them the third time, Why? What evil has he done? I have found no reason for death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. But they were insistent, demanding with loud voices that he be crucified. And the voices of these men and of the chief priests prevailed. So Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they requested. And he released to them the one, the one they requested, who for rebellion and murder had been thrown into prison. But he delivered Jesus to their will. So there's your picture. The, 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 the pandemonium, the, the crowd, the emotionalism, the, wow, look at this, look at what God has done, look at all of these things. And yet if it's not real and visceral, if there's no exchange of will in, in your heart and my heart in relationship to Christ, we have the same capacity to be like these people. 
To say, praise God, bless you, come in the name of the Lord. And when difficulty or tremendous success, whichever side of the spectrum you end up on, comes into your life and, and God says, yeah, but I really need you to, to walk with me. You say, whoa, 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 hold on a second here. Crucify him, away with him. My, I'm good, this is my life. Or when we, when we have difficulty in our life and God brings us through it, then all of a sudden, again, we get back to this place. No, I'm good now. It's the same snub. It's the same saying, look at what God's done. Look at how good he is. Look at all the things that he's carried me through. And then when things seem to be okay, we turn our back. We say, no. What's more interesting than that, as you go through this week, I don't know if it falls on Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday, probably Tuesday, Wednesday-ish. You have this really neat picture of something that the Lord stops to take notice of. And it's found in Luke chapter 21. Jesus himself, he stops with all that's going on. He's between, he's between the triumphal entry and betrayal and being turned over for crucifixion. He's right in the middle of this week of situations. And it's in the midst of this, he sees this, this widow... And I'll read the verses for you. Chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. It says, And he looked up, and he saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he also, he saw also a certain poor widow putting in two mites. So he said, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all. For all of these... Out of their abundance have put in offerings for God. But she, out of her poverty, put in all livelihood that she had. So it's interesting, in the middle of this week, he doesn't make much. You read in all four Gospels, the triumphal entry. Nowhere do you see Jesus say anything about the, 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 the people and all the good that they're doing by laying palms on the ground and, and throwing their cloaks on the ground and singing all of these things. He doesn't respond to that anywhere in the scripture. Yet you fast forward a day or two, he stops and he sees this, this widow, this woman who has nothing. And yet somehow, deep in her heart, there's a conviction, there's a reality that that no, God gives me life and breath and all things. I, I'll give to him whatever I can. And so that's why we're looking at her as the picture of faithfulness and relationship to man. Because you have this widow. You have all these rich men, it says there. You have these people, these wealthy people, given out of their surplus. Almost in the respect, like I'm doing God a favor by giving him a portion of what's mine. Never really realizing. And I was praying this morning and it just blew my mind. I was looking at these trees and looking at this field and even the cows and all of this stuff and just seeing it and thinking, man, everything that we have first comes from what God created. Everything that man creates is first out of what God has created already. So even all that we have is not ours, but it's all his. And so he takes time and he sees these rich people given from their surplus. And yet the way heaven esteems offering our life or faithfulness is based out of the measure in which we give it. So if you're a rich man, you can give like this widow who has very little, who's poor. 
But the way heaven esteems the faithfulness of man, the Lord himself stops in the midst and he says, that woman, she gave out of her lack. Surely they gave much, but she gave all that she had. And so what does man's faithfulness look like? It should look like being our lives. Romans chapter 12, offering our lives. That's all that you have. God is not impressed by money or talents or, or possessions. Those aren't the things that impress God. If he has your heart, if he has your life, he can do much more than all of those things could ever do. And so he uses this picture, this, and it's a literal situation, this widow who gives two mites, which is fractions of a penny. But it's all she had. And it sits right in the middle of what we'll see next week on Easter Sunday of the Father given all that he had. And I'm thinking, man, the Lord stopped because he knew he was the two mites. See? He was the offering getting put in the basket. Sinful humanity could not be accounted for with money offerings and with the blood of bulls and goats and with the temple and with gold and all of these things. It had to come from one who out of all that he had, he gave. And that's the Father himself. Jesus Christ, the propitiation, the ransom payment for our sin. So that's where it's just been on my heart. I uh, look forward to at some point, hopefully getting together physically, literally, and fellowshipping. Even if that means like, Aaron and I drive to each one of your houses, not sure how that works, but... You know, again, think of that throughout the week as we go through our week. The faithlessness of man isn't meant to be, you know, drudgery and a, and a club beating you over the head, but it should, if that's you tonight, if you're sitting there and you know it's you, I don't know who you are, I know me, I know when I play God's speech, when I do God deeds and do all that stuff, and there's no reality to it, and I'm just playing games with God. If that's you, let that convict you. Because you can in turn, instead of being like the rich people who give from what they have, and that's the measure that they give God in their life. God, I'll give you from what I feel is convenient or necessary to me. When God is requesting you, individually, personally, and when he has you, like he has that widow, he'll have all that you have. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness again, your word, your faithfulness, Lord. And how we'll see that next week, Father, the, the reality that, man, Lord, we'll never understand the measure that you gave. We'll never get it, Lord. So, Lord, in this time of, of questionability and uncertain circumstances and is school getting canceled, will I get my job back? Am I going to lose my house? All this stuff, God, I pray, Lord for conviction, Lord, that we just fall at your feet and be like that widow, Lord. Say, say, all I all I have is all yours, Lord. Do, do whatever you want with me. And Father, not only do I pray that that happens, and even if it is through these circumstances, Lord, uh, that we stay there, Lord. That when, when, when this thing lifts, God, and uh, we get back to what is seemingly normal life, Lord, that we in a few short days, don't forget you and say, crucify him. Um, 
So, Lord, we do thank you. We pray. Lord, I pray specifically for people who are jammed up. Lord, I pray whatever the needs are, God, whatever the help that is necessary to be sent, if it's an income tax check that forestalls somebody losing their house, God, whatever it is, Lord, I don't even know. I pray, God, that you move. Lord, you're omniscient. You know everything, God. You're omnipotent. You have all power. And you're omnipresent, God. You're everywhere. So, Lord, in this time we pray. In your name, Jesus. Amen.